Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us every week as we break down an issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what is likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. On this week's episode, we're discussing a new book by Gabriel De Benedetti that delves into the relationship and alliance between two US presidents, Joe Biden and Barack Obama. And while the media might play up the so-called bromance between these two, as the author explains, it goes much deeper than that. He also explores how this pair helped shape two decades of US politics, four presidential campaigns and two political parties, and also had an impact on wars, immigration, finances and social structures. Keith, here in Australia, most people would have only heard about Joe Biden when he became Barack Obama's vice president, but he's been prolific in US politics for a long time. Can you tell me a little bit about how the first two started working together? Yeah, so what this book looks at is called The Long Alliance, The Imperfect Union of Joe Biden and Barack Obama. The imperfect union, of course, is a play on words. The US Constitution talks about creating a more perfect union because it was their second attempt to create a United States of America. So it's a play on words. And it's looking at the way in which the two were brought together for the first Obama run at the presidency. Obama was this very young, charismatic, black person. And it was thought that it was good to balance the ticket with having a very experienced older white guy. Mm. Uh, So you get this nice balance between them. Biden would have known a bit about Obama. He had a ranking of 99 out of 100 senators when he decided to run for president. So he's virtually the most junior person Mm. in the Senate. Obviously incredibly ambitious, incredibly well-spoken. You know, everyone goes back to the speech that he gave at a previous presidential nominating convention the way in which when he started to speak in this huge gathering, somebody has talked to me about a wave of silence Mm. flowed out from the platform as people stopped all their conversations and were just listening to this guy on the platform. And by the end of his speech, which was shortened to the point, people were saying even then, well, look, keep an eye, this is a rising star. Obama decided to rise even faster than (laughs) anticipated, so jumped over the heads of a lot of other veteran contenders, and then ran for the presidency. And because he was seen as young, inexperienced, they needed to balance it out with Biden. Biden is the complete opposite, obviously white, much older, and was seen as someone who's been around the Washington area for decades, Mm. back into the 70s and 80s. So, you know, he's a real veteran, the sort of person that most people despise because Politicians, when they serve too long in office, get corrupted. They make a lot of money for themselves. Biden was an interesting pick because Biden didn't use the office so much as a senator to enrich himself. And every night would go home on the train back to uh, Wilmington, Delaware, and was seen as a very suburban Mm. person, very different from the charismatic, rich people who normally gravitate into American politics. So he was always the honest Joe, the working class person, and it worked well with the Democrat base because the Democrats were losing their traditional working class base. The base 
was being attracted by the rising populist movement on the right who were taking the view that their jobs were going to China or being taken over by the cheap labour coming in from Central and Latin America. And so the Democrat Party had a real challenge because it was not appealing in the same numbers to that white working class. As we know, when Trump came along, you know, he scooped up yes. that angry white male mm. and what angry white female. In a sense, Biden is a hangover from a previous era of attracting those sort of white working class people. And of course, Obama really didn't appeal to the white working class. He did appeal to the black working class and, of course, to the rising inner city trendies. He was seen as smooth, articulate, a graduate at Harvard, et cetera, all of those good things. So he really appealed to that demographic. Mm. So you needed Biden to scoop up votes from another demographic, the, the white working class, who have felt alienated because of the economic reforms that began under another American president, Bill Clinton. And that was really the anchor on Mrs. Clinton's run when she was trying for the White House, that people blamed her for her husband's policies. A little unfair. <laughs> she had other problems, I've got to say, but uh, it seems to be unfair to blame her for his policies uh, back in the early 90s. Yeah, just a little bit. I think given we're discussing US politics, it'd be worth touching on as well as this book, the midterm election results. Do you want to give us a quick wrap-up of what we saw? Yeah, so the midterm elections relate to the elections taking place in the middle of a presidential term. So in the US Constitution, dates for elections are set. They can't be changed, not even with a COVID epidemic or World War II. You still have to go ahead with the set election dates. And so that's for four years. And again, it's a fixed term. It's very different from the Australian situation. In the middle of that four-year period, you have what are called the midterm elections. So in the midterm election, all the lower house come up for election. Mm -hmm. So they're the house of reps every two years. Uh, the argument here from 200 years ago is it will force the people in the house of reps to keep in contact with their constituents. Yeah. In the original vision of the American Constitution, the second version under which they operate, their lower house was to be the driving force for political change because that was close, seen as being closest to the voters. So they're up for election in full every two years in the midterms. And then the senators are elected for six years with about one third standing for re-election every two years. So you've got a six-year term but you will need to stand for re-election at some point mm -hmm. with one-third stepping down. Now, midterm elections traditionally go against whoever is in the White House. It's one of the ironies of American politics. It just shows how volatile Americans can be. <laughs> so the president who wins the general election, the presidential election, also manages to attract support for candidates in the Senate and the House of Reps. But then two years later, Americans change their mind Again. about who's in the White House <laughs> and they punish whoever is the president at the time by voting against the president in the lower house and also the Senate. And then two years on again, when the president comes up for re-election, quite often they've changed their mind and they're back to supporting the president. So it's a weird system. It is. Um, Donald Trump, of course, broke that pattern by only serving the one term. Generally, you, you tend to get two terms as president. 
And so we've had the midterm elections, all of us, including myself, we were all predicting the midterm elections were going to go badly for Biden because after all, that's what they've always, that's what always happens. Mm. But in fact, even though Biden personally is unpopular in the US voting, nonetheless, he has scored a brilliant victory at the midterm elections. Unfortunately, the guy doesn't get enough credit for these things. It's a bit like all the legislation is getting through the Senate. He's done that brilliantly in the lower house and the Senate just by being a pro. He knows the way that place operates. Very different from Obama. Oh, yeah. Who had real difficulty getting legislation through. Biden has has really got the runs on the board. He's a very underestimated president. And then in the midterm elections that we've just seen, they've certainly retained the Senate. And as this is being recorded, we're not sure of the extent of the losses in the lower house. My guess is if they do lose the lower house, then we will have two years of nightmares coming out of the lower house when you'll get the Republicans wanting to investigate the finances of the son, Hunter Biden, who's yes. a colourful individual. <laughs> um, what went wrong with Afghanistan? So there'll be a number of investigations. But Biden has to be congratulated for pulling off this surprise. And that may well be that we're seeing record numbers of voters, particularly among young people who traditionally don't bother to vote. Mm. The young people came out to vote, I think, partly because of the decision on abortion by the US Supreme Court, and part because they loathe Trump. You could say that Biden is a a grudging winner in the election. Trump was the clear loser. A lot of his candidates did not get elected. For me, it's fascinating that we've had an election result which is contrary to what everybody was predicting. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today, we're delving deeper into the relationship between Barack Obama and Joe Biden as explored in the book, The Long Alliance, also touching on some US politics along the way. Now, staying quickly with the midterms, Keith, the question now is, is Biden going to run again in 2024? What are your thoughts on that? Well, he'd be very old if he were to do so. He's just turning 80. Mm. You know, how an 80-year-old is able to cope with all that's going on. And remember, the the role of the president is to be a monarch. So the president, as George Washington had in mind, would be a person presiding over the country. Remember, the dirty, shoddy politics would be done by the Senate and the House of Reps. The original role of the president was to be someone who represents all that's good, noble, and true within the United States, hence the term president. George Washington, the first president, didn't want to be called the king of America example. And so that system tottered along from the end of the 18th century until the Great Depression of the 1930s. So it had a good run, but basically had collapsed by the time of the Great Depression of the 1920s, 1930s. And so President Roosevelt, the second President Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he invented what is called the modern presidency, a much more executive function we increasingly focus on the president rather than what's coming out of Congress. That means that the role of the president is not just to be there for ceremonial occasions and things like that. He's actually got to be there to make all these decisions. He's commander-in-chief, so he will make decisions over war and peace, etc. This is very wearing, I would have thought, on anybody. Mm-hmm. you just got to look at someone like Barack Obama. He goes into the White House looking very oh, young yes. after eight years. 
It's gone, gone grey. Hair. <laughs> Poor Barack. <laughs> and George W. Bush, George Bush Jr., he also aged while being in office. Biden, I think, is doing very well when you look at, at an 80-year-old. And it also emphasised the importance of the vice president. As they say, the vice president is only a heartbeat away mm. from the presidency. And under the American Constitution, the vice president automatically becomes president. So it's not a question of having to go back to the political party and trying to renominate, as we do in our parliamentary system. Automatically, the vice president takes over following the death of the president, which we saw tragically in November 1963. Lyndon Johnson entered Dallas, Texas as vice president and exited as president. Now, let's look back at The Long Alliance, the book, and you've just brought up the whole vice president president relationship. And with Obama and Biden, you know, the media really does play up this bromance between the pair, which I personally love. There were some great internet videos going around when they were in office together. But the author has described their union as imperfect. Why is that? Well, I think it's because it was not without its tensions. Clearly, one of Biden's problems is he's talked too much. And Obama, you know, a very sharp-minded lawyer, just likes things done very quickly. So I think there are temperamental differences. There are also differences in how you should handle Afghanistan. So Afghanistan has been a 20-year disaster for the United States. Obama wanted to find a way of leaving. The Pentagon said, we're going to stay on to fight. So in a sense, this is yet another failure of Obama. Obama was a brilliant talker, but he really didn't achieve that much, except outside of a bit of health care reform. Whereas Biden was saying, well, you know, we shouldn't be in Afghanistan. We've got to get out. So he was a hard line on trying to get out. Now, it was actually Donald Trump, to give him the credit, who negotiated the exit, except the Taliban didn't fulfil their conditions. The Americans got out, the Taliban set out to humiliate the Americans. Yeah. And unfortunately for Biden, he was in the White House when the exit actually took place. So he's carrying the blame. But I think if we do get a lower house investigation into Afghanistan, my guess is that a lot of blame will actually go back to that Trump era, as well as all the previous presidents. And so the Republicans could end up shooting themselves in the foot. We did a program in this series a few months ago on what's called the Afghanistan File, which is a treasure trove of documents that you can get for free on the Washington Post website. Years ago, when it was quite clear America was losing in Afghanistan, it was decided to set up an independent congressional inquiry, which would never be made public whereby a congressional team would go around and interview everybody who was involved in this disaster and see what lessons can be learned, etc. And people spoke freely because they thought that no one else would ever see the documents. The Washington Post got to hear about this investigation oh, and then after a long battle in the courts, eventually secured the publication and that, that's what's on their websites. And it just shows that the Americans right from the outset didn't know what they were doing and the military in Afghanistan was saying, we don't know what we're trying to achieve here. Is it to beat the Taliban? Is it to rebuild Afghanistan? Is it to stop the growing of poppy and the cultivation you know, of opium purposes? We don't know. <laughs> Are we here to educate young girls? It, it was just such a badly thought through operation. And that was obscured from the general public for 20 years. There would have been people who would have been critical of the operation, as Biden was, mm. it's only by reading that treasure trove you can see how correct Biden was in his assessment about how things were going so badly in Afghanistan. That was a, a touchy point between Obama and Biden. 
And of course, we then get to the the problem for the year 2020, which is what Democrat candidate should there be? American presidents only served two consecutive terms in office. Obama could not run again, so there had to be a Democrat contender. The two obvious ones, or three obvious ones really, would have been Senator Sanders, although he's not actually a member of the Democrat Party, but he was the one, ironically, this grandfatherly figure. Yes. He was the one who was attracting all the young Democrat <laughs> activists. And then you had, at the other extreme, Mrs. Clinton, who represented the establishment of the Democrat Party, you know, the, the people who actually finance it with huge donations. Mm. Most of her money actually came from within a few blocks of each other on Manhattan. Wow. She didn't need to raise the small sums of money that Obama had done for his two campaigns. So you then had Mrs. Clinton, who, of course, at least was Democratic. And then the third one was Joe Biden. Now, Biden had previously said that the role of vice president would be the capstone of his political career, although he used to say it's either the capstone or the tombstone. <laughs> so, Cap for but him. then Biden, seeing the chaos between you had Senator Sanders, who's well over on the left, Mrs. Clinton, who's clearly over on the right, carrying a lot of baggage. Biden thought he could see a, a bit of a gap in the market as more of a moderate with traditional Democrat working class support, which is what Trump was beginning to pick up along with the Tea Party movement, et cetera. And Obama was reluctant to support him. So that was certainly a point of tension. I've got to say that if you're really obsessed with politics rather than big picture policy, which is what I prefer to go in, but if, you, if you're really interested in the cut and thrust of American politics, this book by Di Benedetti is brilliant for that. Yeah. Um, for, for the what we might call the politics tragics who want to know about all the knifings and all the rest of it. This is the book on their relationship. So it was an imperfect union. They were certainly in close contact with each other on a daily basis. Remember, a lot of vice presidents over the centuries have said the role of the vice presidency is about as significant as a pitcher of warm spit. <laughs> so not at all then? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Unless, of course, the president suddenly dies in office and suddenly you look to the vice president. Otherwise, the vice president has this very ambiguous floating role. And yet, to their credit, Obama and Biden were able to shape a good role for the vice president. And that gave him the platform on which he thought he could then run again. Remember, he's tried before. He tried and failed. But he's obviously, over the decades, maintained that ambition of getting into the White House. And that's what's kept him well, there you go. He got there. Keith's recommendation, if you're a political tragic, The Long Alliance, give it a read. Thanks so much for this week's episode. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolic. Listener.